May the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. Last week I talked about how we are in the season of Epiphany. And like all seasons, it has a theme that goes through it. And I said we can kind of describe the theme of Epiphany as wrap your mind around this. God is with us. God is with us all. God is with all. And it's that last bit that we often struggle with. The season of Epiphany begins with uh, Epiphany on the 6th of January, when the Gentile Magi, the Persians, the hated Persians, uh, had come and visited Jesus. And that's about the revelation of Jesus being not just for the Jews, but for those beyond the borders, the Gentiles. And well, that's easy for us because we are Gentiles, and so we kind of glide into that fairly easily. Oh, well, it includes us. We, we kind of put us back into the centre. But actually, the point of Epiphany was it was for those who had up to that point not been part of it. It was for those who were beyond the boundaries. And so the question is, this Epiphany, who is beyond the boundaries? Who is the God is with all? That doesn't include us. That's the hard part of epiphany. And that's the bit that we, through the last 2,000 years, have struggled with the most. We're quite happy with God is with us all. We're much less happy with God is with all. A war and all that is much bigger than just us. And so all the stories, particularly the the gospel stories that we hear during the season of Epiphany are a kind of reinforce that central theme. And today is the kind of end of that season of Epiphany, traditionally, as I said to the children, Candlemas. And, uh, and so we heard, um, so in our lectionary, we weren't supposed to do the Beatitudes at all. We were just supposed to do that Luke reading. Um, but for reasons I'll talk about in a minute, I thought it was important that we actually also have the Matthew reading. So we had the Luke reading as one of our first readings. So we've kind of smushed the two together. And uh, it's the story of the presentation of Jesus in the temple. So we have left Matthew with its storyline and we've returned to Luke. And the storylines are really different. And we need to keep remembering this. So in Matthew the gospel that we're in this year, the Christmas story starts in Bethlehem. There's no census. Jesus is just born at home. Mary and Joseph live in Bethlehem. That's their home. And then after Jesus is born, these Persian, Persian magi come, they visit Herod, they come and visit Jesus, and then they go home by another way, and Herod gets all grumpy about a new king, and so he kills all the boys under the age of two in Bethlehem. And so Mary and Joseph are warned that that's going to happen and they flee to Egypt. And then when they are allowed to come home, when Herod the Great dies, they're warned that his son is now on the throne and so they don't go home. They go to Nazareth. In Luke, Nazareth is their home. 
So they go to Bethlehem for the census. They, Jesus is born in a stable. That's not part of Matthew at all. And then they, uh, and then they just go home. They don't go to Egypt. There's no killing of the innocents. There's no magi. There's just shepherds. And on the way home, they do what all good, devout Jews do. They take their firstborn to the temple. And they do all the thanksgivings that are required. And so we have that story today and the prophecies of Simeon and Anna. And the question that we should ask, and we need to keep those two storylines separate, because the writers aren't writing history. They are writing a book of theology, and so how they construct the story of Jesus' life reveals their theology of Jesus. So it's important for Luke that Jesus is born poor, and it's important for Matthew that Jesus goes to Egypt. Because Moses started in Egypt and then came through the wilderness. And Jesus is the new Moses. So the storylines are different because the theologies are different. So don't read the Gospels as if they're history. They are <coughs> theology. They use the story of Jesus to give that theology. It doesn't mean it didn't happen. But their primary goal was never to write a history of Jesus. Their primary goal was to write a theology of Jesus. So we need to keep that in mind when we read these Gospels. And as we read these stories, we need to remember that we are being invited to reflect on who is Christ revealed to be in these stories. What is the nature of his ministry? And as we think about that, what does that reveal about God's character? And then, how might we look to see God's ongoing work to bring shalom in the world today, given who the gospel writers are saying God is in light of Jesus' life and ministry? So just spend a moment thinking about that. As you think about the story of Jesus' presentation in the temple, as you think about what Simeon and Anna said, and the devotion of Mary and Joseph, what does that say about Jesus? What does it say about who he is? And what does that say about God? And where we might look to see God's ongoing activity in the world today. Today is also the fourth Sunday in Epiphany and the last Sunday in Epiphany. And uh, the Gospel for today is the Beatitudes. And the reason why it's important to have the Beatitudes is the Beatitudes are the key to understanding the, the Gospel of Matthew. So we will be coming back to the Beatitudes right through the rest of the year, the year of Matthew. Because this is the lens through which Matthew provides us to read his gospel. This is the summary of what Jesus is about. So it's kind of important that we have it. And we couldn't just kind of go, oh, well, it's Candlemas, so we'll forget it and just kind of carry on next week as if nothing, nothing, we miss nothing. We do miss a lot if we don't have this reading. And, well, it's a story of Jesus and... He's gathered some of his, he's gathered his disciples, he's done some healings in Capernaum, 
Uh, he's gone to some of the other villages, and then there are lots of crowds gathering. And so he says to his disciples, hey guys, let's go for a walk up a hill. And so they walk up one of the hills near Capernaum. And so this is what it looks like up on that hill, the traditional site of Temple Mount. And it's not a high mountain, it's not way out in nowhere, it's actually just kind of like the mount, and you can look out around the Sea of Galilee. And he says to them, so often you see lots of pictures with lots of people, but Jesus doesn't, um, Matthew doesn't say there are lots of people in the story. He just says the disciples come to him. So there he is with his disciples, and maybe there's some more of the crowd, because they can see where he's gone. He's not hiding. He's in plain sight. You can, just like the mount, you can see who's going up and who's up the top. And so uh, he says to them, look around. What do you see? What can you see here? And they can see, well, they can see Capernaum. Capernaum is just there. You can see the synagogue and you can see the houses around it. And you can see the fishermen probably maybe still in their boats, fixing their nets, getting ready for the, the night's fishing. You can see the boats plying their trade up and down the Galilee. You can see the other side of the Galilee. And if you look back into the hills, you can see other little villages. People struggling to make ends meet. People struggling to stay alive. Just as the people on the Galilee are struggling. And in the distance, in the mist, on a good day, in the haze, you can see Tiberias the new Roman city. That's where their taxes are going, to build that city. That's where their taxes are going, because in that city is garrisoned a Roman legion that will appear as soon as any trouble starts. Like magic, there they are. So they can see all of this. And Jesus says to them, so, who are the people of great status in this world? Who are the people of honour? Who are the people that you look up to and aspire to be? Who are the cool kids? And they spend a moment thinking about who the cool kids are. Who are the important people in their world? How would we answer that in our world? Who are the, who are the important people? Who are the people of supposed great honour? Who do we look up to and aspire to be? And Jesus goes on and says, In the kingdom of heaven, in the reign of God that is beginning now as I speak, the cool kids will include the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And you can imagine what his disciples are thinking. The poor in spirit? I guess not right. The cool kids are the wealthy ones. That's who we're supposed to be like. They're the ones who are blessed by God. The poor in spirit. No one has ever talked about the poor in spirit being of great honour. They're not even on the list. 
List of people of great honour. List of people we should look up to. Poor in spirit is not there. They're looking around. What's he on about? Poor in spirit. Look up to those who mourn, Jesus says, for they will be comforted. Aspire to be like the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Honour to those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Revere the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Honour to the pure in heart, for they will see God. Aspire to be numbered among the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And some clown at the back's going, Did he just say the cheesemakers? I'm a cheesemaker. I like that. That one's for Terry. Hold in the greatest honour those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now I can guarantee that none of you, when you were thinking about who you aspire to be, who you look up to, who are the cool kids, had that list. Because those people are not usually on our list. But think about who is normally on our list. Because what Jesus is saying to his disciples is the values behind who we decide who the people of great honour are, who the people we aspire to be, who are the cool kids, those values and those priorities have created this world. And as they stood on that mountain and looked at that world, they saw a world of immense wealth in Tiberias and grinding poverty. All those people struggling to live while paying the taxes to pay for that Roman city, to pay for that Roman army. A world where the wealthy seemingly could do what they liked with impunity. And as they look around, they can see hunger, they can see misery, they can see death, And they can see division. Because on the other side, well that's the Gentile area, that's the Decapolis. And we're not like those people. A world of division and hatred and violence. And Jesus is saying, dream what the world would look like if we held these people as the most important. Dream what the world would look like 
if the world operated to meet their needs rather than the needs of the wealthy. Dream of a world where these are the cool kids. And we want to be like these people. What does that world look like? And how might we live that out? Well, Jesus was saying that to the disciples then, and he's saying it to us today. Every time we read the Beatitudes, that's what he's saying to us. So what does that world look like? And what are we being invited to do to bring that world about? I invite you to turn to your neighbour and to have a conversation about that. So instead of the creed, we're going to have a conversation. What does this world that Jesus is offering us look like? And what might we do about it? And in a minute or two, we'll pray for that world.